0: Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, still working on getting my voice back time. This is getting a little ridiculous time. It's March time. We'll see how much March madness there is for the Vols time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker studio, recording this on a Monday evening. Going to drop this on a Monday evening. Hope you all are having a good Monday night out there, unless, of course, it's, you know, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, perhaps even Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day it is. We're happy that you're spending part of it with us here on the GoBoss 24-7 podcast. Not just me for the first segment. Actually, I should say it first for the second segment of this episode. I'll be joined by our village idiot, Grant Ramey, to talk a little Tennessee basketball for the first segment. Going to be joined by our good friend, uh, somewhat less of a village idiot, Patrick Brown. What's going on, Pat? Uh,
2: Nothing much. Just uh, hanging out on a rainy Monday afternoon.
0: It's true. The uh, and I guess I should say before we get into football, shout out again to the uh, the Tennessee baseball team. I believe up to the mid teens in a lot of those uh, those national polls. I think there are three uh, obviously that they use in, in college baseball. But the Vols are twelve and zero, hosting Longwood on Tuesday, and then hosting another weekend series uh, before hosting, I believe, ETSU the next week, and then getting into SEC play. Uh, so the Vols of Tony Vitello and his group off to a really good start. I believe they are leading the nation in home runs and they're second nationally in earned run average. So uh, y- you don't really have to know a lot about baseball to know that if you uh, lead the country in home runs and you're second in the country in ERA, uh, unless you have the worst defense ever, Conceived by man, you're probably a pretty good baseball team. in uh, Tennessee right now is sitting at 12-0 after already beating uh, the number one ranked team in the country, Texas Tech, earlier this season. Uh, beat another ranked team in Stanford, another pretty good team in Houston. So the Vols and, and his, uh, Tony Vitello, and his bunch off to a really good start. And we hope to uh, get Vitello on this podcast here uh, pretty soon. So shout out to that, ladies. I know the ladies love sexy Tony Vitello. But, Pat, we're here in this first segment to talk a little Tennessee football. We're going to get to some questions I know that normally we do this uh, in the later in the week podcast, but because of the time and because of we're going to have uh, probably more of a hoop-centered podcast uh, between the Kentucky and Auburn uh, basketball games later in the week uh, before we really dive into spring ball next week so we thought we'd change it up a little bit go directly to uh, some questions here in just one second uh, but Pat, before that I guess the last podcast we had Tennessee's pass catchers uh, had been at the uh, NFL uh, I guess what they call it the time the combine or, or what's the official name of it Does they, I know we all call it the combine it doesn't have like an like a scouting combine or something else like that the
2: NFL scouting combine
0: yeah I guess that's technically that's what it, it is yeah but uh Tennessee uh, obviously Dominic Wood Anderson the former Tennessee tight end and Jawan Jennings and Marquez Callaway the former Tennessee wide receivers took center stage there early on in the combine but uh, a couple guys uh I guess one and a half guys have, have gone since Pat what, what have you seen from uh Petuli and Taylor uh, the past couple of, I guess past few days
2: well, you didn't see anything from Daryl Taylor because he has been um, recovering from... He uh, had a stress fracture in his shin. He actually played through the injury uh, during his senior season at Tennessee in the fall, had surgery on it back in January, and so he's not uh, been able to go through any... Uh, didn't do anything at the Senior Bowl, didn't do anything at the Combine, not sure if he'll do anything at Tennessee's Pro Day later this... Um, I, I think he's planning hoping to recover in time to do a pro day maybe his own pro day or, or something where he can work out in front of scouts but uh, oddly he's probably the one that's uh, I would say is the clubhouse leader and and probably by decent margin to probably be the first Tennessee player taken in this draft I think Agreed. he potentially could go um, on Friday during the second or third round so um, that's uh, so that's been some of the projections for him a um, few different places have him as a top 100 prospect in the entire draft so if you're in that discussion then you have a chance to potentially be going on uh maybe in the second and third round um and um and so he, he of course he was the one guy that didn't get to uh didn't get doing And of course in the nfl you know you can never have too many guys that can get after the quarterback given that that is such a quarterback driven league so uh teams are always looking for good good pass rushers and uh taylor has shown he can do that but um but Tully's case uh, he didn't run great um i think his, his official time was a four eight four four in the 40 um i i'd personally wasn't thinking but would um run super fast that's not really his um uh, you know, that's kind of not his game he's more of a in the box linebacker see ball go get ball um i think his some of his limitations in coverage aren't exactly <clears throat> um something that, that isn't known about so um he, he's better in a shorter uh area, area space a little you know more explosive and covering a little bit less ground than, than 40 yards but um and I don't, I don't know that for him or any of the other guys that, that the combine performances are going to drastically change where they are. Uh, I think Daryl Taylor will be potentially a third round guy. I think Jennings will probably go potentially late Friday, maybe early Saturday. And I think the other, uh, the other guys are, are sort of fringe draft prospects at this point. I think Callaway's probably got a chance to get drafted. Uh, I was surprised Nigel Ward was not invited to the combine. I was too. Um,
0: That's two. Makes two of us.
2: So, um, but he's got a chance to. Um, kind of you know help himself at Tennessee's pro day which I'm sure he'll be counting down the days for uh Kyle Phillips and Emmanuel Mosley didn't go to the combine either and they've uh, they've done okay in the NFL so far so uh it's not it's not a deal breaker um but uh yeah and and, and in terms of the receivers uh some of the slow times they ran I hope to fans are uh, excited about some of the speed from some of the incoming guys which I think is something uh, that'll sort of change and sort of shift how um uh, the diamond dynamic of that position is moving forward with some of the guys that, are, that they're bringing in who uh, um, will, will bring a little bit of a little bit more zip to the, uh, to the group. Although Marcos Kyler running a four or five, five. That's, I mean, that's not slow. No, I mean, they definitely. only like, def- guys. If, yeah. If, if, if four, it's a laser four time, the whole combine. So
0: yeah, if it's a laser time, that's a good time.
2: So, I mean, you know, you have your freaks out there, like Isaiah Simmons running a four, three, nine, like, you know, there's, there's not many of those guys out there, but, uh, and and it's interesting. Like I said, I think there were only ten guys that ran sub four four. So if you see a lot of guys in high school running sub four fours,
0: eh, they're might not really the, doing. you need to check
2: that. the clock again on those. Yeah, those
0: guys. and I'll say this too. I, I I don't think Jawan Jennings had anything to gain by running the forty. I know he's a competitive guy, and that's he. just kind of. The way he is, but if, if I were him, I would have said that my speed uh, can be seen on film. I think he runs faster or he plays faster than that speed indicates. And, and I, you know, when you look at, at the guys who have run the, the wide receivers who have run the fastest 40s at the combine over the years, that's not a lot of household names. So uh, that, it, it's not just that, but I'm, I'm a little bit surprised uh, – that Jennings I'm – actually, I'm, let me take that back. I'm not surprised that he did choose to run the 40, but uh, if I were him, I don't know why. I don't know what you have to gain by doing that unless he thought that the time would be faster than what it ended up being. And maybe if that's the case, uh, now he may have to go run it at Tennessee's Pro Day to see if he can improve on it if he thinks he can. But, you know, he's the guy going into the draft path that I'm, I'm still – you know, I think we all know Daryl Taylor might be the first guy off the board, or should be. Um, you know, he's a. He, you look at some of those moves he put on guys last year; those were NFL moves uh, in, in some of those pass rushing situations. He's got different tools and he was in his tool bag, too. like, yeah. yeah, and he played hurt. So, uh, but the the really intriguing guy to me is still Jennings, because I can see some teams being like you know what, I don't know if it's fair or not, but because of that history and there's that, that Instagram thing and some other stuff, I, I don't know if he's good enough to take a, a chance on because of some of this you know, so-called baggage. But I also think there are going to be some teams who are like, I love this kid, I want this kid in my franchise, I want this kid in my organization, I think he's going to make my team better. So he could be a guy who just surprises everybody by going earlier in the draft than we thought, or he could slide really far down the draft. He's, he's the guy to me that... I think it's really going to be kind of a beauty in the eye of the beholder type because it's just going to take one team out there, and I still think when you watch that guy compete on film, when you speak to Jeremy Pruitt about him, when you speak to his coaches about him, when you when you talk to to people who have who have gone against him, it just takes one team, and I really think there's a chance one team's going at least one team's going to be like you know what I'm going to go ahead and take this guy uh, just because I, I I think he's he's just a he's a unique guy in the way he competes.
2: Yeah, and I don't, if you were one of those teams that were thinking about taking him, I don't know that you're scared off just because he ran a four seven three forty. I mean, I, you weren't you knew you weren't getting a burner when you you were thinking about drafting him, and and if you draft him, you're not going to draft him to you know be a guy that's going to take the top off the of defense. But uh, to me, to me, that 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 whole business a couple of years ago, it's in the past. It's it's you know, the guy's got a sec, gotten his second chance, and took full advantage of it. So that would be that would be a non-event to me. But uh, NFL teams are obviously very thorough in the way they go about these things, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I think he'll, I think he'll definitely be the second guy off the board um, from a Tennessee standpoint. But other than the other than Taylor and Jennings, I'm not sure that it's necessarily a lock that any of the other guys go. Um, although it wouldn't surprise me to see if they add a couple more. But um, yeah, and I, th- I think I yeah. think Jennings'
0: knee too. If there's issues with that, I mean, you know, with Shy Tuttle, obviously that was a problem. Uh, if you're a guy who has some some history with incidents in the same part of the body and there's concern about it, I think it's Jawan's knee that. Uh, some teams are also going to want to look really carefully at so if that's the deal hey then then that's the deal too but uh, that that could possibly come up as a red flag but but we'll see uh not that not that uh not a deal breaker i don't believe but uh he's the guy for me who's just kind of all over the place pat you got anything else before we go to questions
2: no let's go to questions
0: Let's go to the questions. And again, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm still working on my voice here. Uh, there are a couple of hoops questions in here and Ramey and I will get to them in the second segment of this episode. So if you hear me skipping over your question and it was a hoops question, that's the reason I'm going to let uh, we'll do that one when Ramey's in there with us. Uh, the first question was indeed a hoops question, so we'll save that one. Uh, here's the first question that we'll get to from football. Vols with a Z, NCAA, on the checkerboard says, who are y'all most excited to see in action this spring? Pat, the floor is yours.
2: Um, I think I have to pick Harrison Bailey, don't
0: I? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that, that's a good one. Excuse me, guys. That's a good one.
2: Um, I, I You know, I want to see if he's – as advertised and of course we i don't think i don't know how much we'll get to see to know that but um for the start of spring the start of fall camps your 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 attention is usually um drawn towards the new guys and he of the new guys he's the headliner and the guy that might be uh the could have the most impact on next season uh although i also want to see jimmy holiday too i think he's a really exciting player but um, I'll, I'll take the cop-out pick and pick Bailey. Um, Is that okay? Am I allowed no, to? No, yeah, that's
0: a good one. No, I mean, that's a, I, th- I think when, when you look at Tennessee's situation at quarterback, and, and, you know, I've said this before, if all things are equal uh, and, and Pruitt can't decide which direction to take that thing going into the season, he'll go with Garantano, I think, because if he doesn't know for sure – um, he'll, he'll go with the devil he knows over the devils he doesn't know. However, you know, if, if if someone like Bailey steps in and is very clearly from day one the best guy for that position, I have zero doubt in my mind that, that Jeremy Pruitt would, would be like, okay, I'm starting this kid. I don't, I don't think he cares. I mean, he he loves Garantano as a kid, um, but if, if Bailey steps up and becomes obviously the guy or if like Maurer steps up and obviously becomes the guy, I don't think he'll hesitate to make that move and I don't think Chaney will try to stop him. So... You know, I think that's a that, that's a really good question. Uh, and I think your, your your point on Holiday is a good one. He might be the guy I go with because I kind of want to see how long he sticks at quarterback if he does. I mean, for, for all we know, he goes in there at quarterback and he never leaves that position. I still think he's a wide receiver in the long run. I might be wrong about that, but I just watch his explosiveness on film and I say, man, that be you want the ball in that guy's hands. And then I watch him throw the ball and I think, you know, he's just – I don't know if he's a consistent SEC-level thrower. Now, maybe you get him with someone like Jim Chaney. You know, you let Winky work with him, former Heisman winner. Hey, you know, maybe they get together and they figure out a way – to make him a more consistent, more explosive thrower, I, I, I don't know. But to me, he just kind of looks like a guy that you want the ball in his hands. Uh, and I think if you can do that at Tennessee at wide receiver, uh, I think you'll do that. Uh, in, in terms of maybe some guys uh, who well, are, maybe we should
2: go to. Maybe we should pick defensive guys now.
0: Yeah, think? yeah, that's that's a good idea. I was I was going to say just some guys who are not newcomers um, because I think there's some interesting cases there. But go ahead, go go with your defensive guy. I want I want to hear this.
2: Um uh, my defensive guy to watch is is JJ Peterson just cuz uh, I think it's it's got to be his time. Yes. If, it's, if if this isn't his time, it might never be his time. Um and and I'm not talking about just these 15 practices, I'm talking about the entire offseason for him. So um you know this is going to be his second spring, his second full year in the program. He's had time to get his shoulder right. He's had time to uh get done what he needs to get done in the weight room. He's been in the system now for a couple of years. Um, There's an open door for him, at inside linebacker. Um, And and so I'm I'm interested to see and and sort of track his development and uh, see if he can, uh, after all the time I invested in his
0: getting to campus
2: and whatnot a couple of summers ago. That's uh, true. I'm interested to see how he pans out. And this is obviously a, a big chance for him with, uh, Daniel Batuli getting ready for the NBA, uh, for the N- NBA, for the NFL, and then uh, and and Kevard Crouch being uh, sidelined after shoulder surgery. So this is a big chance for Peterson, and uh, if he can't take advantage of it now, uh, who knows when he might take advantage of it. So, what's you, who's your pick, Wes? I,
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go with two guys because one is my clear number one, but then there's a second I do want to mention. My clear number one to me is Emmett Gooden. Uh, I want to see. Uh, apparently he's back from that ACL. He did a couple things down there in practices in Jacksonville before the the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, uh, but I think he'll be fully cleared to go. Everything looks good going into spring, last I've heard anyway. So if that's the case, I want to see if he gets back to being himself or if he's going to need to knock off some rust. I imagine it's probably somewhere in the middle of those two things. He's a guy I want to look at. Uh, another one is Aubrey Solomon because I, I think last year we didn't really get to see all of Aubrey Solomon because – He just was hurt all season long. And he might be one of those guys who's just always dinged up. It's football. It's a violent game. That happens. But he just, he had so many things last year. There was like a shoulder, a knee, turned an ankle, I think at some point. You know, he just, he he was always banged up. And, And he still made some plays, but I don't think he consistently was the player he should have been because I think he was dinged up for a lot of it. I think he's really tough and he played through a lot of it. Uh, he, he didn't leave the field too much uh, despite all those injuries, and that shows you how tough he is. Uh, but I, I want to see that kid get healthy, and I want to see what he can do because I I still think he's a guy who uh, could be a, a better player than he was last season. So my clear number one uh, is Gooden, and then uh, number two, I'm going to put Solomon in there. Those are mine. Any complaints?
2: On we go. No.
0: On we go. Like, no, that was, uh, that was okay. Uh, let's see, next question. That was a basketball one. Uh, so we'll go on here from VolGal76. Okay, I think she addressed this one to me. She said, okay, here's the question. Wes, Ryan, Grant, and Pat Patrick all find yourselves in the back of a cop car. Who got you there and why?
2: Well, it's definitely not Ryan. True. So let's get that out of the way. He, he'd be uh, the
0: snitch who'd put us there.
2: Uh, probably not Grant.
0: Yeah, probably not because you'd have to um, you'd have to say or do something or show some emotion probably to get arrested so it wouldn't be him. Uh, I feel
2: like you I feel like you would say me because of my alleged road rage
0: Yeah I'll, I'll, okay I'll say this if it's if it's something specifically related to the operation of a motor vehicle it's you if it's anything else it's probably me um, that's probably my that, that that that's what I would say I would say we got there either because uh, Pat uh, decided he finally just snapped and decided to run his car uh, all over lots of other cars and people and animals and everything else on the road.
2: Well, let's let's not go crazy there now.
0: I'm Uh, just saying. Actually, the 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 likely
2: scenario is that uh, it's either Grant and I are driving and we're speeding uh, to a a football game, and then uh, they search the car and they find your pharmaceuticals. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> and they sit us in the cop car because it'll take them an hour to test all of it.
0: Be like, listen, I, this is, I'll be like, listen,
2: prescription stuff. Al-
0: almost all of this is legal, guys. Almost all of this is prescription legal. Uh, I-, I would say, listen, here's my name on this, my name on that. I don't know if it I,
2: would just take a long time. Don't
0: know if that would cover all of it, but it would cover most of it. But yeah, after that stroke, I have to, uh, the amount of, of medicine that I have to take on a daily basis to get out of bed and get going is. Uh, Rather emasculating, if I'm honest with you. And if I'm a cop and I pulled myself over, I'd be like, what is that? Be like, is this Breaking Bad? Like, what are you doing over here? So, yeah, that would probably be. Uh, or I said the wrong thing at the wrong time. That also could get us in trouble. Uh, let's see here. Y'all, ooh, another question that's not sports-related. From Vols NCAA again. Y'all are in the woods as a staff at Go 247 24-7. You come upon a grizzly bear and its cub. Mama bear ain't happy and charges. Who outruns the pack? Who trips someone, who goes fetal position, and who is lunch? Uh,
2: well, wouldn't the person who outruns the pack be the guy who trips somebody?
0: Probably. Um, you probably run more long distances. I bet Grant might be faster in no, the sprint. But I, I, I would
2: say that Grant's probably he, – he he alleges to run on the treadmill on a daily basis, I assume. Uh, he, he, even, uh, no, he even
0: gets up in the morning and runs when we're, like, on the road doing basketball games. He, he's legit about that. He, he does run.
2: So – so he might he might have the the distance advantage. I might have the pure speed, uh, but I also would be the one that's tripping y'all because I I you know
0: it's every man for himself. at I that play point. dirty.
2: Yeah, I play dirty. I'm not you know it's life and death. I'm 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 not feeling sorry for y'all. Well,
0: I'll tell you this much: uh, R- Ryan goes fetal and position. And then either you. <laughs> go ahead no ryan goes fetal position i think i think that's going to be a unanimous answer from the pack ryan included uh, i think he would go fetal position and then i would stand there and yell at the bear as loud as i could because i after so the, your lunch all right after, after the stroke i can't run anymore really uh, I, I i can't feel the right side of my body really so i'd I, you know I, I could still bench press a fair amount but i in terms of coordination not so great so uh I would uh, I would throw a stick at it and yell and try to get it to go away. So I might get eaten, but I'm going to fight. Ryan I think would play dead. That's and that's not a that 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 might be the smartest thing to do because if you run from a bear, they told us this when we went to Alaska. They told my wife and I all the time. You run to a bear, you try to run, you're going to get ate. You got to stay and you got to yell and you got to throw stuff and you got to get as big as you can. So. Just remember, if you're ever facing a bear, that's what you got to do. Next question, Haynes sixty-two, uh, of course. So you got it. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, who, who is the average age? What is the average age of Tennessee's starting offensive line? Pat, the floor is yours.
2: Well, uh, the spring version of Tennessee's offensive line, the average age is going to be a little bit older because you're going to be swapping out Jameer Johnson for Wanya Morris at left tackle. Wanya is still going to be recovering from his uh, hip surgery. So the average age is going to go up uh, as you go from a, uh, I guess Jameer is going to be a technically a redshirt senior this season. Uh, or is that Ryder Jr.? I should probably look that up. Either way, he's older than Wanya. who's a sophomore. He'll, he'll,
0: uh, he'll be a senior. Uh, Jameer Johnson is a senior.
2: I'm wondering if he, if he does, he have a redshirt or not.
0: Well, no, um, I think he, he came in with three to play three, I think.
2: Uh, he, you know, he'll be a redshirt. Senior, so this yeah. will be his last year, but uh, so, so the age is going to go up a little bit. Um, the age also might go up because I think, well, I think Cade, Cade is, is a junior and so is Carvin, some of those guys. Um, and then it might be uh, depending on who's at, at right tackle, whether it's Karon Calvert, who's a little bit older than Darnell Wright, uh, that that also would affect the age. But you're gonna have some old guys, uh, in there for sure with Brandon Kennedy, who uh, this will be his sixth year of college football. I don't think he's the oldest on the team though, and I think we I think this was a discussion on the board a couple weeks ago uh, when I mentioned uh, that he is Kennedy turns 24 at some point this season. I think Carlin and me is actually the oldest guy on the team. Um, and Daryl Middleton, by the way, who's been in the news this, this, from this past weekend for getting arrested. Yeah. Uh, he's 23 and will be 24 in December. So there's a couple of guys that'll be
0: 24 this year. Those, c- those are like some BYU aged guys.
2: <laughs> yeah. So Kennedy's 23. Trey's a senior. Uh, Cade Mays will be, obviously, he, he's a junior. Um, I don't know what that averages out to, Haynes. I'll let
0: you do the math. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to try math on that one. That's, uh yeah, but but it's going to be, there's going to be plenty of experience on that group. Uh, we do we do know that. And I, I will say this, too, in terms of Middleton, you brought that up. We, we should have mentioned that earlier. Uh, he did release what I thought was, uh, when you talk about, you know, people make mistakes, but, you know, men kind of admit to them and men... You know, a grown man will admit to it and speak about it and try to fix it. And I think Darrell Middleton's statement that he released about it was incredibly mature, uh, and it went into more detail than I thought maybe other people would have given detail on it. So credit to him for that. I, I hope that that he gets it fixed. Yes, agree. Uh, let's see, next question uh, from Stallion Vol. Year two saw a change in Pruitt from year one and how much he handled directly versus he how much he delegated. How do you see year three going in this regard, factoring in new and younger coaches joining the staff?
2: Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, if he's maybe a little bit more involved with uh, the linebackers on a day-to-day basis. You know, sometimes in practice we see him. Um, a lot of the time he's he's with the cornerbacks because that's sort of his de facto position. And I think coaches. he always but, will. Um, but with uh, – with, with two young inside linebacker coaches and he's got obviously a lot of trust in Brian Niedermeyer, uh, seen him coach defense before he knows what he's getting there, uh, between Niedermeyer and Shelton Felton kind of being two of the younger, uh, guys on the staff. I wonder if he spends a little bit more time with those position groups where really he didn't have to. Now we saw him stop by the defensive line a lot last year, but I think that probably had to do more with the personnel, uh, than the guy coaching him. Um, but you know, with Tracy Rocker and and Chris Rom, those are two guys that have been around the block in the SEC. Yeah, so you, Pruitt, you, you can you let know,
0: them – you can just tell them what to do and they'll do it.
2: Yeah, so, you know, and, and they knew him. They know what to expect. Um, on one hand, I, I might think that's the case. The other – you know, the kind of the counterpoint, and, and maybe to go all counterpoint Callahan here, is that, as I mentioned, Niedermeyer has coached in this system. He's coached in this defense. He's coached defense before. Uh, he, he's going to know what, what Pruitt and what Derek Ansley are going to want in terms of the techniques and, and the drills that they do at that position at inside linebacker and the same goes with with Shelton Felton because he was here in in 2018. So, uh, he's going to know what's being demanded of him on a day-to-day basis in terms of how to coach that position, uh, what techniques and how the techniques need to be taught, all those kind of things. So he, you know, this isn't a situation where he's jumping into a new, uh, entirely new system. Um, they are young coaches. Um, and so I wonder if, if he's going to be maybe a little bit more hands-on with those position groups, just on a day-to-day basis. But, uh, uh, getting back to the question, uh, I, I would think he would continue to delegate. I mean, I know he trusts; he has a ton of trust in both his coordinators, um, and Derek Hansley and, and Jim Cheney. And it sort of starts there, and you have to kind of uh, let it trickle down and and kind of let everybody else kind of do their jobs. I think he he learned his first year Pruitt that you can't, you know, put out all the fires um, as a head coach. You know, you hire these coaches, you hire your assistants, you hire. Uh, all these guys in your staff to you know to do a job, you pay them very well to do that job and, and you got to trust them and, and let them do it. And I think he, he's all some positives in that last year. Um, but I think early on it, you know, you could see him maybe be a little bit more hands-on with some of those, those new coaches, but uh, I would think he would continue to understand that uh, there's sort of a, <clears throat> sort of a CEO role to being a head coach. And uh, at the same time too, you know, Pruitt loves to kind of be a hands-on position coach himself. That's kind of how he's always been. So, uh he's gonna let those other guys do their jobs on a day-to-day basis and when it gets to practice he's gonna go uh work with work with those cornerbacks and try to get those guys better
0: i'll say this too though uh, before we move on and we need to move quicker here but the uh i would say that the fact that when you look at what he's got at corner um when you know you know you look at the uh, you know yeah bryce thompson and and elante taylor and um you know, Balin Buchanan, who's another guy I'll be interested to see if he's out there. Uh, Kenny, you know, Kenny George, you know, young Kenny Solomon's got some ability. I I think that, that you've got a lot of guys there with experience and a lot of guys that, that have done the thing and that they need to improve obviously, but they're experienced guys and have played a lot of ball. So I, I think that might give him the opportunity to prove it, to move around a little bit more at times. I don't know if he'll do that, but uh, the bottom line is to answer the question specifically. The question I think Pruitt learned year one uh, what he can and, and what what his strengths are, and, and what what he needs to do sort of to manage his time. And I do think that he's learned a little bit more about delegating. I think he he trusts these people; or he wouldn't have hired them. I think the guys for the most part like working for him, uh, and, and I think that that he lets them do their jobs. So it's not that, that mean he's not going to ask questions. Uh, and and it's not going to mean that he's not going to go over there and be on their backs a little bit sometimes. but i I think that i think that he's in general going to let them do their job that'd be my answer uh question i go back to the uh,
2: offensive line age question real fast yeah go ahead Uh, a lot of people may not know this but trey smith doesn't even turn 21 until june as crazy as that sounds
0: that is crazy isn't it carry on that is crazy This this is a Man, I just I just hope that he can stay healthy and, God, he got a long future in this game if he does. Uh, next question, uh, Stallion Vol. Good question here. What do you think Tennessee's run pass balance will look like next season?
2: Uh, it's tough to know.
0: It is. Now, I will say this. I think because of that offensive line, uh, if they can run the ball, that's you know usually the safest way to go ahead and control clock, control games, control down a distance. Uh, if you can run the ball, then I think that they'll run the ball more next season. I think they'd like to. If, however, they can't do that, if they can't move the pile, if their backs can't get you know yards on their own sometimes, then they'll have to open it up and throw it because they'll have some inexperience there at, at the pass-catching spots. But uh, I don't think they're completely devoid of talent there. You know, Palmer, um, you know, you got a couple other guys coming back, Keaton, um, Brandon Johnson will be back out there. They've got some options there. So I think that, you know, Pope at tight end. I, I think they'd like to be balanced. But I think it might be closer to fifty-fifty next season. But if they can't run the ball, then you got to throw it.
2: Well, when you say fifty-fifty, did you know that Tennessee actually ran the ball more than it passed it last year? Uh, excuse me. Actually, by a, by a pretty wide margin. I'm actually looking up these numbers now. You know, um, pat off
0: the top of my head, I wouldn't have guessed that. So that's that's shame on me for not yeah, knowing no, that. they but they, yeah, no, they
2: ran. Ahead. They they ran the ball. Uh, there were a hundred more. Rushing attempts and there were passing attempts. Last season. So,
0: I would not have guessed that.
2: Um, so I guess yeah, there, there were a couple go. games
0: where they didn't put it in the air much at all, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that they would like to run the ball, but um, you know, if you if you don't have success doing that, you got to throw it. So
2: the uh, the splits, if you're if you're into the percentages out there, which I know some of you are, yeah, uh, it was 56 percent running, uh, rushing attempts to pass attempts. Now that doesn't include plays where. Quarterback scrambled or, you know, sacks are obviously counted as, as, rushing attempts. So it's
1: probably a little bit closer to 50, 50.
2: I know if you asked Jim Cheney that he would say, yeah, you want to be super balanced. He's, his offenses always have been balanced. Um, I would think they would want to be uh, a run first or, or a run to set up the pass kind of team, given yes. what they have on the offensive line, what they have at running back and then what they have at wide receiver. Um, so you, you would think that, um, but and
0: it's interesting because football is we'll going a different way even at the NFL level now. I mean, you got the Titans and some other teams who kind of play old school, but a lot of people are now kind of running it to, or throwing it to set up the run or, or they're just kind of using the run game as a token thing. Um, but I still think Tennessee's staff in general believes in as close to 50-50 as you can be. So... I think that they believe those are the t- toughest defenses to stop. And Pruitt always thinks about offense from a defensive perspective, and, he, and I've talked to him about this, where he thinks what would be the hardest thing for me to stop. And that's one of the reasons that he loved Jim Chaney and why he wanted to hire him was because he said Chaney's offenses always gave him problems because of their balance and their explosiveness. So if that answers your question, that's kind of a long-winded answer. But I, I think somewhere close to 50-50, is that fair, Pat?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody ideally – wants, but...
0: It's a fair point.
2: When now, push comes to shove, what happens?
0: Next question from A.O. Maine. Uh, what are a few positive things that could set these falls up to exceed expectations in this coming season? I'm going to tell you one uh, thing well, right off the bat, quarterback play. If, if they can do that, if they can play... If they get good quarterback play, this is a good football team.
2: It's easy to say that, but...
0: Yeah, but I'm, I'm not saying whether they will or not. I don't know.
2: But I'm saying... I, I still think... I still think the wide receivers are going to be a huge concern for me.
0: See, I, think Man, I, I think they're okay there. I don't know if they're great, obviously, and they're gonna, there's going to be a dip. But I, I mean, I, 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 everyone knows how I feel about Palmer. I think Johnson's a solid guy as long as you're not wanting him to be your number one receiver, which they won't. Um, I, I, I think Keaton and Milton and some of the guys come or Tillman and, and some of the guys coming in, I, I think they're going to be okay there.
2: Well, you just named three guys and there's only one other guy on, on the team that's caught a pass for Tennessee in a game. So, uh, yeah, there's exciting talent. Malachi Weidman is a freak. I'm, if, if you're asking the question, who were you most excited to see if this was going into fall camp, he would be, I think undoubtedly number one. Fair. Um, but you know, it's just, you, have seen, you've seen it in the past, you've seen teams that regardless of all other factors, um, you know, there's two really good examples, and I wrote this last week. Tennessee's offense in 2013 had went from uh, second in the in the SEC in passing to 13th um, when they when they lost Justin Hunter and Zach Rogers, uh, Cordell Patterson, and Michael Rivera. Now they also lost Tyler Bray too, and had kind of you know kind of had one of those years of quarterback where I think they started three different guys. Um, but you know they also had what three guys on that on that offensive line that went to the NFL. Uh, and I think yep. the better example might be Georgia. Um, now, obviously, they had the, the coordinator change, which, you know, obviously going from James Cole, you know, from Jim Cheney to James Cole, turned out to be quite a drop off, given that uh, after one season, Georgia determined that, you know, James Coley was not their guy, at offensive coordinator. But you saw a guy in Jake Fromm. You saw, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. You had a, one of the best running backs in the SEC in DeAndre Swift. You had a lot of NFL guys on your offensive line, but they lost their top tight end and maybe four of their five top receivers for various reasons. Um, and the numbers went down. Passing, you know, yards per attempt. Uh, Jake, uh, you know, Fromm's passer rating went down pretty significantly. They averaged a touchdown less per game. Now, uh, you know, for Georgia, that's not that big a deal because they had it. You know, they had a defense that still was able to win them games. But um, I, I just I, I I look at this offense, and I'm I'm concerned that the wide receiver play might be the the biggest hole. You know, you know, if they get some positives uh, there to answer this question. Um, if they get some of those guys that are ready to play, if D'Angelo Gibbs is more than just a scout team superstar, um, if Palmer kind of takes the lead Keaton, some of those guys kind of make the the quote unquote, the leap, um, then, you know, the offense, you know, may be able to, to continue moving in the, in, in the right direction. Defensively, I think they need to figure out what they're going to do at that other safety spot. Yes. Um, and then I think they have to find some guys that can get after the quarterback uh, up front. That includes the defensive line. Um, because I think this defensive line sort of got by on its quantity, maybe more than its quality. You know, they had guys that would pop up in different games, and they had they had enough solid play. They had, they had enough solid players that they, you know, got the kind of production they needed. Now, you know, can one or two of those guys up front? Maybe it's Solomon. Maybe it's good. And two guys you mentioned earlier, you know, can they become more disruptive, kind of dominant force type guys? And you know, off the edge, can they get? Can they find a couple guys uh, that can that can get after the quarterback? Can you know kevon bennett deandre johnson roman harrison because some of those guys kind of take the next step so um if, if those things happen you know i think tennessee um you know maybe could could uh, hold serve against maybe the teams they'll be favored against and maybe knock off one of those uh those four teams that'll be in the top 10 to 12 to open the season
0: yeah i, I want to be clear about something i i agree pat that there absolutely are concerns at wide receiver i'm not trying to say there's not i, I just think that I like some of the guys they have coming back, and I think, you know, Valus Jones is a guy who could add some things to that group too. I I, I just – I have faith in Chaney and T. Martin as coaches, and I think they'll find a way to get production. Now, they're going to miss the guys they lost. There's no question about it. Jennings and Callaway were freaking awesome and a lot better than a lot of people thought they were in my opinion. So, I, I do think there will be some some issues perhaps there, but I just – I think they're okay. To me, it comes down to if this team gets good quarterback play – I think it's good enough uh, to compete with just about anybody on the schedule. Not, I don't know if it's right there, obviously, with Bama and Georgia. That, that's, you know, they are what they are talent-wise there. But but I, I think that if they get good quarterback play, I think a lot of other things for this team fall into place. And if they don't get good quarterback play, then I think it could be a really underwhelming, disappointing season. That's, I know, oh, you're talking about the quarterback. Oh, no no crap. But, I mean, that that's – Kind of, that would be my answer to it is if they get a quarterback who emerges and they get good play there, I think they're okay. But I think Pat's points are really good too. And defensively, uh, they got to replace Batuli, and that's going to be a hard thing to do because he did a lot for that defense. And they were not the same when he wasn't on the field. Um, so, a couple more to get to here. Um, there was a good question from CPA Vol, but we already answered it a little bit talking about Jennings and Callaway at the combine. Uh, so, go back, and if you're just now getting to this, we did answer that early. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. I don't think it's going to really hurt either of those guys. Uh, although in Jenny's case, I wouldn't have run it.
2: The que- the question is, did it affect the play calling in Garantano? And my answer to that would be those guys uh, did a lot of making Garantano look pretty good last year. That would be my
0: two cents. Yes, and uh, they can go get the ball. It's not just uh, how you play uh, is is different from your 40 time. And, and plus, those guys can both leap out of the building, too. And that, that, was, that was huge. So a couple more things to get to before we get out of the way here. We're overdue for a break. Uh, Russ said, uh, Russ34x1, who do you all think has the most potential to surprise everyone on offense and defense? Give me one on each side of the ball, Pat. Uh,
2: offensively, I think somebody that may be flying under the radar is a guy that I've mentioned before that I really like. Uh, it's Ramel Keaton. I think you know some of the other guys, maybe some of the newcomers, uh, when they get here will be getting a lot of attention at wide receiver, but uh, I like Keaton a lot. I think he can be a really productive receiver. I don't know if he can be a, a superstar. I don't know if he can be a number one receiver just yet. Um, but uh, I like that he's got the ability to, to play uh, one of those outside spots. I, you know, can he get it off press? That's something I think that's maybe a question for him, but uh, I thought he looked really comfortable running routes out of the slot, running over you know, working in the middle of the field. Um, and some of the you know in, in the bowl game when he got a look there with Juwan Jennings suspended. Um, and, and I think he can be a guy that, that maybe is maybe flying under the radar a little bit in terms of, um, uh, you know, what he could potentially be on offense, uh, defense. Um, uh, I, I may go with DeAndre Johnson, uh, another guy that maybe has been flying under the radar. You know, I think Tennessee staff thinks that Johnson has quite a bit of talent has, you know, has some ability to be a good player, but he's been inconsistent he's been, uh, underwhelming. Uh, but I think he's had a solid off-season so far. Um, another guy that you know, sometimes these guys that have been role players, they get to their senior year and they kind of have to kick it up an extra gear because they, they realize that you know if they want to keep playing football professionally. Uh, they need to they need to do more and play you know play better and produce more and those kind of things. So um, they need pass rushers. I think he's a guy that that could help, uh, even though. Uh, I really do like what Kavon Bennett and, and Roman Harrison could be um, in that de- in, in that department, but um, I think DeAndre Johnson's a guy, another guy that's kind of maybe uh, maybe not the first name on uh, on everybody's list, but a guy that could emerge and be a solid player for Tennessee's defense.
0: Yeah, I think those are good ones. You know, I, I think there are guys who, um, you know, I I would say that um, I I I think one name that, that comes to my mind is Alonte Taylor is a guy who still has every bit of the ability to be a really, really good cornerback. And I think we've seen that at times and we've also seen him struggle. Um, but I think there's going to be pressure on him. You know, if Bailey Buchanan can come back, certainly, you know, uh, that, that's going to, that's going to push Taylor a little bit. Uh, I think young guys like Solomon have a chance. Kenny George played pretty well at times last year. So I, I, I think that's a guy who, um, I still think he practices so hard every day. I, I think he's a kid who um, could end up being a, a pretty pretty good player. And and then one name I'll mention on offense might be one that um, kind of surprises some people, but I, I, I'm not willing to give up on Ty Chandler just yet. Uh, I, I think he's a guy who are did not – people giving up on him? No, I mean, I, I think that people are just assuming that because of the way Gray finished the season, he's just going to take, take it and be the guy, and that's going to be that. I, I think Chandler's going to keep fighting him, and I think he's going to have a better senior season than junior season. I might be wrong about that, but I, I just – I still think he's a guy – I don't think he played as well at times last season as he needed to, and I don't know if he was dinged up. I don't know if if he was in just kind of a rut at times when he just kind of wasn't making as many guys miss as he should. Um, but I, I, I think he's a guy who I think could go out there and have a better senior season than people think. I might, I, I might be off track there, but I, I just – I think he's a guy who will have a better senior season. On we go. On we go. Pat doesn't even have a thought on it. Pat's like, whatever, man, you're an idiot.
2: Well, no, I mean, I, even if even if Gray continues to go off, um, you know, you, you, unless you're Wisconsin, you're, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to have a back that's going to get 300 carries
1: that's fair. or whatever
2: Jonathan Taylor had over his career. Um, so you, you're, you're going to need multiple backs, and I think that, that Chandler and Gray are – uh, obviously going to get a bulk of the work uh, into he's backfield.
0: Uh, final question before we get out of here for the first segment, it's from a UT fan in Maryland said, uh, any thoughts by the staff to redshirt a defensive lineman due to the large number of seniors there? Interesting question.
2: Um, it is an interesting question. I don't know how many of those guys have available redshirts to be honest. The um, one
0: who stands out to me off the top of my head is Mincy.
2: Mincy could be a guy. Um and that he might make he might be the only guy that makes the most sense because Elijah Simmons is redshirted. Uh, uh Greg Emerson and Carl Garland both already have redshirted.
0: I guess Savion Williams uh, technically could also, but
2: yeah, he could. I don't, you know, um,
0: Elijah Simmons maybe could. I mean, I mean, the, he already redshirted. Simmons oh, no, he red-shirted. did. He only I played, he only played, he only played four. You're right. Good call, Pat. Um, so, uh,
2: the only other, you know, Blakely is redshirted. Um, you know, you're not, you're probably not gonna redshirt a senior. Uh, I mean, I guess they just did it with two of them, but um, you know that that would include a guy like Butler, uh, Latrell Bumpus. Um, I think they need bu- I, I, think, I think
0: they need Bumpus as a pass rusher, so I think that's out of the question. Um, so, but, but yeah, and all
2: those guys that were in the rotation last year. I think I think no, I think the guy that makes the most sense is, is the guy you mentioned is Mincy. So
0: um, uh, yeah, and, and of they, course, they yeah. maybe,
2: arguably, should have redshirted him uh, already at some point, but. Uh, he and he and Williams and Simmons are kind of those guys that were sort of outside the rotation last year. That you know, the question for them this offseason is, can they make a move? You know, and, and you know, with a new position coach, you know, he you know, I don't know how much Jimmy Broombaugh is going to be looking at what they did last season. He's going to, you know, he's going to want to put more emphasis on what he sees from certain guys this spring. So, uh, an opportunity for them. Uh, I'm not saying it's a totally a clean slate, but um, you know, that there's a chance for those guys. With you know, with the new, with a fresh set of eyes at that position, to you know, see if they can increase their playing time a little bit more after they were kind of on the outs a little bit last season.
0: I'll mention two caveats there. One is that you know, obviously health wise, if, some, if something comes up on that front, that could change things um, because you know, hey, that that's obviously football. It's a nasty game. Somebody you know gets gets you know a pretty nasty ankle or knee injury after the first or second game or in preseason camp. Maybe that changes things and, and they want a red shirt. But the other thing is this, guys. Not every player is a player you want to redshirt, and what I mean by that is you might have a guy who needs to, uh, who you feel like you can you can recruit over him. So sometimes you redshirt guys not because just to do it. Uh, sometimes you want to go ahead and get him through the program because hey, you know you think you can get better players. That does happen. Now, people don't want to talk about that often because it's kind of awkward. But you don't really want to redshirt a guy unless you think it's going to benefit you and you know the program. To have that kid for an extra year. If you think you can go get a JUCO guy who is better, or if you think you can go get a guy who can step in as a true freshman and, and be better, you might not want to redshirt a guy. Uh, it's awkward, but it's the truth. So I, there's a couple things that could be in play there, um, but I think for the most part, the only one I see is Mency. So unless there's an yeah, injury.
2: and the other thing, and the other thing about the defensive line is that you're you're going to play a lot of guys there anyway, and that's a position that's it's a physically demanding position. You're going to have injuries there. You know, we saw that with Tennessee last season. Bumpus missed a couple of games. Solomon was banged up. Good and gets hurt. You know, in the preseason. Um, you know, so you're and in, in, Tennessee's, in Tennessee's case, as I mentioned earlier, they don't have like two dominant. You know, they don't have them. They don't have Derek Browns running around over there right now. So, yeah. Um, you're going to rotate guys there. They rotated a lot of guys last season. It was, you know, they rotated even two years ago when they had the three seniors that were the starters and Paul Bain, uh, former walk was in the second group born, you know, in, the rotate born in the darkness, guys born in the darkness.
0: Show some respect. Yes.
2: yes. Um, you're going to rotate guys there. So you need, you need a lot of bodies there. Whereas, you know, you look at a guy like Brandon Johnson that they registered last season, uh, the way that Tennessee's receivers were set up were Jennings and Callaway and Palmer were going to be on the field a lot of the time. Um, and you were only going to rotate in, you only need to rotate it in, you know, two, three other guys and they had other guys there. So, You know that they knew that they could get something out of you know Keaton and Tillman, Tyler Bird, some of those guys to sort of uh, spell the the big three, so to speak. And that's you know the defensive line is an entirely different position in terms of what you need there. In terms of depth, and you need to have numbers there. You need to you know in a game if you get two guys hurt there, you got to have your seventh and eighth guys ready if you're playing two rotations of three. So um, it's a different situation. I would, it probably is harder to redshirt guys there just because you you know you need. Um, You need so many numbers. And then, you know, we, you, you look at a guy like Blakely, who played in, in a sub package. You look at Simmons, who got some snaps late in the year in the goal line. You know, you, you have some of those guys that are, that could play roles for you in different situations that, that you don't necessarily, uh, they may not be quote unquote in the rotation, but they have a role. So um, if you're playing that many guys, it'll be hard to, to redshirt just one of them. But uh, that, that'll be something that if the staff sees that they have an opportunity to do so, then then they might give it a shot.
0: That's a fair point. I think that's a good place to leave it. Pat, I'm going to go ahead and step out of here, but, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us for the first segment, man. Yeah, no problem. Have fun talking basketball. Yeah, well, well, uh, there's some interesting things to talk about with basketball. There's plenty of stuff, obviously, with Tennessee playing, uh, going to, uh, Rupp Arena to face the sixth ranked Kentucky Wildcats on Tuesday night, at 9 p.m. Eastern, a late game there for some of y'all, but, uh, we will uh, we'll discuss that. We'll discuss Auburn, the game on the, over the weekend. We'll discuss Tennessee's big win over the Florida on Saturday. We'll discuss a lot of things uh, that are that are some good, some bad, and, uh, and then we'll take a couple questions too. But uh, before that, we're going to go uh, listen to some uh, listen to the commercials, pay some bills, uh, listen to uh, some some stuff from the good people who support this show. Hashtag. Add. welcome back to the go balls 24 7 podcast brought to you by whatever products services in-house ads you may or may not have heard just a second ago during that commercial break as always you are not contractually morally ethically spiritually obligated in any way shape or form to listen to those ads but we appreciate the people who do that you have the right to hit the fast forward button and when you don't do that we appreciate it west rucker back here at fort rucker studio now joined by another one of our wonderful staff members here at Go Vols 24-7, our resident basketball guy slash village idiot, Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up, man?
1: I'm hanging in there. How are you?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, about the same.
1: I'm yeah. healthier than you, so take that.
0: That's true. Uh, this, this time of year, it's always like, you know, basketball season's ramping up toward an end and f- spring football starting, and you're like, there's a lot going on, and... And when you can't talk, it makes it a little bit more complicated. But we are back nonetheless. And you know who might be back from the dead is the Tennessee basketball team. Uh, may just be a one-off, may not be. We shall see. But the Vols got some things sorted out over the weekend. A 63-58 to 58 win over Florida at Thompson Bowling Arena. Thanks to John Fulkerson's three-pointer heard round the world. The first of his career. Certainly, a, uh, it was a desperation heave, but he kind of took it like a guy who confidently shoots a lot of those things. As the shot clock was ending, he hit that three put him up by four points with about two minutes and 24 seconds left, I believe, in the game. Uh, Tennessee gets a couple stops. Florida gets a bad break with the ball spinning out, and the Vols go on to a 63-58 win. Good news uh, is they may have resuscitated some things with their season. Uh, the bad news is it's a little bit late for that, maybe. And the worst news is that their reward for that is now they go to Rupp Arena to play the sixth-ranked Red Hot Kentucky Wildcats at 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Grant, before we talk about U.K., what did you think about that game over the weekend? Uh,
1: I mean, they never make it easy on themselves correct, or uh, on Tennessee basketball fans. Um, I Honestly... Uh, I would have lost a lot of money if uh, you are asking me to bet in the second half on how that was going to turn out after Florida started going on the run it went on. I think it was a 19-point lead with, um, I can't remember how much time was left in the game.
0: 15, something like that, 15, 14. And something
1: like that. And they go over a, over the next nine minutes, I think it's 20, we'll uh, see, 25 to 7 Florida. Uh, so they get it back within one. And, uh, you know, just a coincidence that it's Kerry Blackshear who scores, I think, nine straight for Florida at one point and. He was the guy that was getting them going. And then Trey Mann, another guy that UT recruited for a while, uh, he got going in the second half. Uh, and if you would have asked me, uh, I would have bet a lot of money on Florida winning that game or Tennessee finding a way to lose a game just based on what we had saw at Arkansas, what we would saw at Auburn uh, over the last week and kind of just where this Tennessee basketball team has been. It looks like they're running out of gas. And like you said, lo and behold, who, who else finds the uh, – the basketball finds John Fulkerson on an inbound with two seconds on a shot clock in a one-point game with two-and-a-half Uh And the guy heaves it, and it, it doesn't rattle in. It doesn't bank in. It was a it was a money shot. Splashed the it. Yeah, right. He splashed it. And, and and if that wasn't big enough, uh, a couple trips to, uh, later, Jordan Bowden uh, misses on a drive to the rim, and who's there to, to dunk home the the miss uh, other than John Fulkerson? He goes off for 22 again, and, uh, what he's done and what he's been asked to do, how much they've relied on him, uh, the progress he's made is pretty incredible. I know he hasn't been the most consistent guy in the world, uh, but finding a way to win that one's huge because you needed that one. I mean, if if you do the math, that clinches a 500 season for them, and, and that's important because you can't get into the NIT uh, without a 500 record. And I still think going to the NIT could be important for this basketball team.
0: Yeah, it could be. And, you know, speaking of Fulkerson real quick, I don't want this to be lost in the shuffle. What they're asking him to do offensively is one thing, um, but but he's not allowed to sacrifice anything on the other end of the floor either. And he's sitting there playing. He played 36, 37 minutes in that game, uh, and he got, had to guard some pretty good players. And the way that he goes after those pick and rolls, the way that he goes after those screens, he is just all energy all the time. Now, he did only get two rebounds in that game, and that is what it is. That's not a big enough number for him. Um, but that would have been a cruel way for that game to end if he had missed the two front ends of the one and one there, uh, that were so critical in the second half. Uh, he would have blamed himself, uh, maybe, maybe partially accurately, but mostly inaccurately, just the way, just like the way he did at South Carolina when he was the best player on the on the floor for that game, and, and yet at the end of the game he's blaming himself because he missed a couple free throws and had a couple turnovers. But uh, Fulkerson had one turnover in that game. Uh, he did have a bad night from the free throw line. Um, but what he's done on both ends of the floor, I mean, he's got to be on anybody's list for the most improved player in the SEC, right? I mean, I don't know if he's going to be named All-SEC or not, but when you look across the college basketball world, there just aren't that many guys who have, who have improved as much as he has, I don't think.
1: No, and the payoff for John is he's not a senior. The payoff is he's going to be able to stick around and be part of this influx of talent uh, that's joining the program over the offseason and be part of a what should be a very deep, uh, and talented basketball team next season. Uh, but what they're asking him to do, not only him, Eve Pons as well, uh, they're asking them to do so much on the defensive end, those two, and they're asking them to do so much on the offensive end, and there's not a ton of bench behind them. Uh, you know, Uroš Plavsic is what he is at this point. You can't really rely on him other than for a couple minutes here and there. Uh, same with Olivier Camois. He'll play well one night and then kind of disappear the next night, and it just kind of goes back and forth. Uh, those guys are relied on so heavily. Their minutes load, if you go back and track it game by game, is so heavy because uh, there's very little bench behind them, and they have to do so much on both ends of the floor. So uh, for those guys to be doing what they're doing, yeah. Uh, if if Eve isn't one of the more improved players in the league, it's definitely John Fulkerson because uh, it's night and day differences for those two.
0: Yeah, and, and Tennessee's bench in that game did not score a point and, and uh, which you just hardly ever see. Uh, and Tennessee's bench also played a grand total of four guys for 13 minutes, I believe, if my math is accurate. So yeah, I mean, that's that's crazy. You, you, you cannot do that every game. Uh, You just can't uh, because, you know, maybe guys get in foul trouble or just the fatigue factor. You just can't do that on a consistent basis. But uh, Tennessee did it in that game, and and it worked. Uh, I mean, you know, there in the second half, it looked like Florida's making these runs and getting back into it, and Blackshear, who was in foul trouble in the first half, he's rested going down the stretch, and and he's making plays. And, you know, sometimes you just need a break in this game, Uh, and I think that's what they got. I mean, Fulkerson, give him credit. He made the shot. But sometimes you just kind of need a break to get going. You need something to go your way. And, and maybe, you know, it would have been nice for Tennessee if something like that three-pointer had happened um, a couple weeks ago in, in a game. Maybe that could have been something to kind of spur this team forward when there was still a bunch of time to fix things. But sometimes you just need to get a break. And, and I think Tennessee got one there. I don't want to take away from what Fulkerson does because I, I, I think – and that goes with with him in general. I, I, I think – when you talk about how hard he plays and his hustle and his grit and all that, you're not wrong, but at some point that almost becomes condescending because I think it rules out or or, or diminishes the talent that he has. Uh, this is a guy who Rick Barnes thought would be the best player in that recruiting class that they signed. And it was a great class with multiple NBA players on it, and he thought Fulkerson could be the best player of that group. I don't know that he's going to be a pro or anything like that, but but he's a guy who, You know, he jumps over people. He runs by people. Uh, He's a good athlete. He looks awkward and spastic while he's doing it. But I I think when you talk about just how hard he plays, you kind of take away from the fact that that he's also a talented player.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can go back and and look at numbers and stuff from his freshman year, uh, the first 10 games before he had that injury. He got minutes over Grant Williams, and I think he was more productive at that stage than Grant Williams. Uh, He almost had a triple-double. Uh, in the Maui Invitational. I think it was against Oregon or Wisconsin one, maybe Oregon. I think that was an overtime game. He played really well uh, at North Carolina later on that season, but right before the injury. Uh, Rick Barnes references that performance a lot. Uh, He was a guy, if if he stays healthy, uh, I don't know how that changes the career of Grant Williams or how it changes the career of John Fulkerson, uh, but it would be a a much, much different player. He was a skilled basketball player then, uh, and it took him a while to get back to the point where he was playing 100% uh, kind of I don't know. Kind of mentally got past that injury, and both physically got past that injury. Uh, and right now, he's uh, he's starting to kind of reap the rewards of uh, the work he's put in, and, and kind of waiting his turn to get back to be a, a guy that can really do a lot for a basketball team. And it's going to be really interesting to see how his role changes next year, how much they rely on him, you know, who he's playing next to, uh, how he performs when there's, you know, you're not game planning just for him. Or just for him and another guy on the floor, you have to game plan for some more talent uh, and a deeper basketball team. So uh, I think that's the biggest payoff for him is is he gets to be a part of uh, what could be a good year next year.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about the the butterfly effect there, you know, how what could have happened if Fulkerson hadn't had those two injuries back to back and spent that, you know, basically 12 months with one arm or the other in a sling and and how that may be affected the careers of two guys who are best friends and roommates uh, because those two are incredibly close. They're like brothers. And and so uh, it's interesting to see how things turned out there But before we flip the page and talk about Kentucky. I think we need to talk about one more thing and that is Josiah Jordan James. uh, Maybe not for, I mean, he played 40 minutes in that game. Maybe Not all of it was as well as he could play, but the first half was as good as he's looked in a long time. And Tennessee's five-star freshman guard ended up with a a pretty darn solid line of 12 points on four of eight shooting, two of four shooting from beyond the three-point line. So he finished with 12 points, eight rebounds, and I believe six assists and and two block shots, one steal. Did have two turnovers, but uh, especially in the first half, he really kind of picked that team up and put them on his back for a bit.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's easy to look at the or at least I this is what I thought after the game it was easy to look at the box score and think he had 10 in the second half. He had two he had 10 in the first half. He had two in the second half. Maybe he disappeared a little bit, but just the the line and the so many numbers that he put up, the 12, 8, 6. Uh, I think he had two steals and a blo- or two blocks and a steal. Correct. Just to be that active and and I mean that was what Rick said after the game. They told him just be good at what you're good at and he's good at rebounding the basketball. He's good at finding assists. He's a good three-point shooter. Uh, He's one of the best on the team uh, when you look at the percentages. Uh, So for him to get going early and to kind of get a step back, I mean, the the 25 scoreless minutes he played at Arkansas going 0 for 6 from the field, uh, you mentioned that they got basically nothing from the bench, no points, very limited minutes from the bench against Florida. You can't have a starter go 25 minutes and scoreless uh, in a game like Arkansas on the road. Uh, not when you're this thin of a basketball team. You've got to have uh, that starting five has got to be productive across the board. It can't just be one or two guys. It's got to be a little bit of everybody. So if if he can get that confidence back and uh, establish himself a little bit more, that would be huge for him uh, and huge for Tennessee because they need all the help they can get.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a pretty natural segue into the Kentucky game on Tuesday because you know Josiah Jordan-James playing closer to the way he's capable of playing I don't think it completely changes the the scope of this or, or the you know the the matchups of this game against Kentucky on, on Tuesday night up in Rupp. But I, I do think it does change things. In you know it helps Tennessee. I'm not saying that Tennessee should go win the game now or anything like that. But if James is going to step up and play well at Rupp, you know he was not available for that first game against Kentucky. And he's a guy with his length and his rebounding and his toughness. Uh, If he's going to show up to play, if he's going to be fired up to play against some of these guys he knows from the AAU trail uh, back in the day, which he did against Florida, uh, that's going to help Tennessee a lot in that game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you go back and and look at the game logs for Emmanuel quickly. Kind of what this, what he's done is is crazy. He's the SEC Player of the Year, Uh, and what's even crazier is it looked like it was going to be Nick Richards for a lot of the year, and then his teammate uh, Nick didn't do anything to get past. He just happened to be playing alongside a, a guy and quickly that's uh, going off, going crazy. And, and they have him next to Ashton Hagans and obviously Tyrese Maxey, so much talent in that backcourt. You're going to need Josiah Jordan-James in a big way uh, in this game. That's a tough place to play. Uh, you better slow them down as much as you can slow them down because they want to run the floor and they want to score a bunch of points. Um, and, and when that place gets going, I mean, we saw it last year. Tennessee was, I guess that was the end of this 19-game win streak. Tennessee was number one in that game. Uh, I think Kentucky was a top-five team. Intensity uh, went up, went up there, and, and really got handled from start to finish. And it was it was probably one of the best atmospheres they played in, uh, or they have played in, uh, in the kind of in the Rick Barnes era since I've been following them around. So uh, you better go up there and you better play good uh, perimeter defense and, and slow them down as much as you can because they have a ton of options uh, that can score it. So and you better get your points on the offensive end as well, as well if you want to keep pace. So. Uh, they're going to need it from um, both ends from Josiah for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was going to talk about. With, I think you made a great point there that I was going to eventually discuss real quickly was I, I do think James better put up some production. I tell you, he's got to score the ball up in Rupp and he's got to rebound it too because even if he plays well defensively, he is going to give up some points because I don't love the matchup of him guarding any of those Kentucky guys one-on-one, those backcourt guys. Uh, those guys just I I don't know that I really especially if his hips still not maybe quite 100 percent whatever's going on there Uh, all three of those guys are pretty quick and and I think James um, might get beaten off the bounce a good bit in that game because pretty much everyone except for um, Jordan Bowden and uh, Devontae Gaines or Ticket Gaines does get beaten off the dribble a good bit that's just what this this team does so they're going to give up points I don't think there's any doubt about that so they're going to have to go score them too so James cannot be timid when that kid is open from the three-point line, he and Pawns both, when they're open from the three, they have got to let that shot go. They've got to shoot it.
1: Yeah, and and, and hitting those shots, if if you can get a couple of them early, uh, I mean, you've seen it with uh, at, at Thompson Bowling Arena. That's the easiest way to uh, take a crowd out of a game is, is, to, to, is to hit some early shots as the opponent uh, and to establish yourself a little bit and, and find a little bit of uh, confidence and uh, a little bit of rhythm on the road if, if you can do that early. Um, that's huge, and I think he has done that early in some games. Uh, I don't, I can't remember uh, if it was uh, LSU early on. I can't remember which game he. There's was been a couple games. Teams. Maybe it was Wisconsin before uh, the wheels fell off. Um, but yeah, if, if I mean he did it against Florida too. If you can hit some of those early shots and establish yourself a little bit, that's going to go a long way towards uh, helping you be in the game at halftime, uh, be in the game in the second half, and, and hopefully you're there. Uh, as, you know, kind of crunch time winds up.
0: That's going to have to happen, and I'll tell you why, because teams obviously are going to hound Bowden because they have all season long, but um, I'll tell you what they're doing now is they're also starting to hound Viscovi. Uh it, He played, I think, pretty reasonably well in that Florida game, hit a couple big shots, um, but he only took five shots, and he only took two threes in that game, and he played 34 minutes. So you could tell that Florida was getting in his sink every time he got the ball across midcourt. And I think Kentucky's going to do the same thing too because Vescovi's a guy that if you let him get going, uh, he can put up some points in a hurry. And, and I think teams are starting to figure out kind of how to shade him, how to kind of give him some problems because he's one guy that they just the – opponents are starting to kind of close down that space pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, he can't – I mean, go back and look at what Arkansas did to him, not letting him go left and just kind of how um, – in a funk or, I don't know, out of sync he was in that game. Uh, and he did play well uh, against Florida. He hit some shots and, and did some stuff and uh, seemed pretty in control for uh, as many minutes as he was on the floor. Uh, you're going to need him. I mean, he can't disappear. Uh, even if it's not a huge night, you're going to need him to be at least a little bit productive uh, and in control and you know not, not committing five or six turnovers, whatever he had uh, at Arkansas. Uh, you know, He's got to be somebody that you can uh, at least count on in other areas if you're not counting on him production scoring wise and uh the same for John Fulgerson I mean with Nick Richards with EJ Montgomery with the talent they have the bodies they have down low uh he can't pick up too early fouls like he did to Auburn uh he can't you know he's got to be the guy that draws fouls not uh, commits fouls early on Uh, if they can establish him early on maybe that helps them kind of settle in a little bit and and be in it for the long haul but you got to figure out something with Vescovy uh, and you got to figure out something with Fulkerson from the jump.
0: Yeah, and, and I think also, um, you know, you got to give Pond. Uh, I'm sorry, Pond. You got to give Viscoby some credit because he, he probably has hit a little bit of a wall physically, but I think he's trying to play through it. Uh, and maybe he's getting a little bit of a bump from his family being in town too. That was a neat. That was a neat thing before that game uh, on Saturday. Uh, his family kind of surprising him, showing up. Uh, right before the game uh, showing up. I think they're going to be here for 10 days, so they'll be able to catch a a few games. And that was a neat thing to see because, you know, what that kid's had to do just the past year and a half or whatever it's been, going from Uruguay to Mexico City to Australia and then to Knoxville, Tennessee. um, He's got a pretty tight-knit family, and that's been tough on them. But if you're a kid from another country and you want to play in the NBA one day, sometimes you got to go the american college route and that's what he's trying to do so to do that you gotta you gotta take your opportunities when you can and that means going far away from home and so that that was neat to see them there though um over the weekend and I, you know that had to mean a lot to him
1: maybe maybe rick picked up the phone and said uh, hey uh mr vescovi we got florida kentucky and auburn and, and i need your kid playing well so i want to hop on a plane and uh, get to
0: town. Yeah, and whatever it is, uh, do you do you have uh, some sort of an Uruguayan Red Bull or, or what is it that you drink down there? Can you can you bring that too? Uh, because the, <laughs> do you have
1: any coats? Because uh, you're going to Lexington.
0: Yeah, the, the yeah, and by the way, yeah, if you've never been to Lexington, Kentucky, this time of year, uh, you're going to freeze and die. So um, you you might well get used to that too. Grant, speaking of Kentucky and this week in general, you know, kind of let's imagine here for a second because it's probably not going to go this way, but let's just say. That Tennessee does go two and zero this week. Let, let's say things fall into place. Um, you know Tennessee finds a way. Kentucky struggles a little bit. They've already wrapped up the SEC title. Which doesn't mean a ton to them, but but maybe Tennessee kind of catches him napping a little bit, plays well, sneaks up, wins that game, then kind of Thompson Bowling gets rocking, and they they finally get over that Auburn hump on Saturday. Where does where would that put Tennessee going into the, the into the postseason? I mean, because to me, you're looking at a team right now that maybe could even play its way somehow into the NCAA tournament, or a team that could miss the NIT. I think everything is on the table the next two weeks.
1: I mean, I mean, if you go two and zero this week, uh, as improbable as that is, if you finish the season with a uh, a home win against Florida, uh, going to Kentucky and win, and a home win against Auburn, uh, after you were up seventeen at Auburn a couple weeks ago, I think you're given how weak this bubble is, how kind of soft it is. I think you're right back in the bubble conversation. Um, I think you'd still have work to do uh, in Nashville in the SEC tournament, uh, but you'd have a much better seed and a much better situation. Uh, in that tournament, if that happened, I think still if Tennessee splits this week. Uh, I think they still could, you know, do some damage in Nashville if that happened, and kind of be maybe back in that bubble conversation, uh, depending on how long they stuck around. I think, um, I think it is big that they clinched 500 record, and, and they could be an NIT team regardless of what happens from here. Um, but I think you at least need to split uh, and do some damage uh, in the SEC tournament to kind of make things interesting. Uh, I tried to. Kind of break it down. Last night, I think they're currently a, uh, eighth in the SEC, and I think they're within two games with two games left. They're within two games of seven different teams in the league. Uh, but in terms of first-round matchups next week, it looks like Texas A&M, Alabama, uh, one of those maybe Missouri, one of those type teams, depending on how everything falls out over the next week. So uh, they're going to get one of those kind of teams in the first round of the SEC tournament. They obviously have to win that kind of game, uh, and then you're probably going to get you're looking at a, maybe a Kentucky or an Auburn. Uh, one of the top two seeds uh, in Nashville next week. So there's there's a ton of opportunity for this team, uh, even though it's you know we're here in the final week of the schedule. There's a ton of opportunity because they're playing the two best teams in the league. It would be two quad one wins, and then you're going to Nashville with the chance to to put more uh, wins under your belt, more quality wins if you can get to um, the quarterfinal round and beyond.
0: Yeah, and, and that leads us into the questions here. We, we got a couple left from. Uh, from the questions that we took on the board for this week. Obviously, we did a bunch of them for football in the first segment with Pat. But for right now, I mean, and we sort of talked about this a little bit, but but the way Vols NCAA phrased this question is interesting. He said, how many wins would it take to get into the SEC tournament, uh, to get into the NCAA tournament, if Tennessee goes 1-1 one one this week? Now, I'll say this. If the one win is at Kentucky, uh, that probably carries a little bit more weight, obviously, going on the road. Uh, because if you look at it, Tennessee's kind of road and neutral record overall is is pretty decent um, and that's something that the committee looks at so but if you go one and one this week if you're Tennessee I think to even be in the conversation you have to get to the SEC tournament title game uh, that, I might be wrong about that because it's a weird bubble this year uh, but I think if Tennessee goes one and one this week I think it has to probably at the very least get to the championship game of the tournament next week
1: uh, in my head, I had semifinals. I think it just depends on, like you said, if it's a win at Kentucky or if it's a home win over Auburn. Uh, and then what happens next week? I don't think a win over Missouri would carry much weight. No. Uh, if you could beat an A&M or if you could beat an Alabama or a South Carolina, those those teams are kind of in the bubble conversation. Uh, I'm sorry, not A&M, but you know South Carolina and Alabama. Uh, if you can if you can win that kind of game, and then if you get Kentucky or Auburn in the in the Friday matchup and win that one. Uh, You're talking about two quad one wins in two weeks, and and I think the conversation changes a little bit. If you do get to Saturday uh, in the semifinal round, you better be competitive uh, and you better put on a good showing if you kind of want to stick around in that conversation. Uh, But, yeah, obviously uh, they have a a really, really steep hill to climb, but I think they would have to at least get to Saturday uh, just to give themselves a shot.
0: Yeah, and if they did beat Alabama in the tournament, that would mean they went down there and won and beat Alabama on a neutral court. So. Uh, that's something the committee probably it wouldn't be like the sole determining factor because you can't just go head to head because there's a whole, you know, you can't put anything in a vacuum. There's a whole bunch of a uh, whole long checklist for every team that you have to look at. And, you know, when you start playing the, you know, the this against that guy, this against that guy, that gets tough. But uh, if you've beaten a team, if you're both in the bubble and you've taken care of that team a couple of times on neutral courts or or road venues, that puts you in a pretty decent situation. So Bama would be a good team for Tennessee to draw in the tournament and beat if they could. But I just I look at it and I say if they go one and one this week, um, I, I think they may have to get to Sunday. I, I don't know because uh, it depends on what other people do. But, you know, right now, Tennessee, if you look at anybody, they do the whole first four out, next four out. I don't see Tennessee on any of that right now. So I, I think – um, now we've seen shockers before uh, in the tournament, but and I'm not just talking Wichita State. Hey, yo, dad joke. But if 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 they go one on one this week, I think Sunday maybe because you just. I mean, are you seeing them anywhere on any of these bubble talk things? Because I haven't really.
1: No, they're not. But for some reason, Arkansas's been there uh, lately. South Carolina's still there. RP- uh, RPI Alabama's likes Arkansas. Been in and out, but you know they're kind of around the same win totals. Uh, and don't have really a huge difference in resume. Uh, if Tennessee splits this final week, they'll enter uh, Nashville with 17 wins. If they get to Saturday, that'll be two more. I think if Tennessee's sitting there at 19 uh, and whatever that makes them, 15, 16, I don't know, if, if you can get to 19 wins, uh, I think you might at least kind of be in the conversation, even if you're at the tail end of the conversation.
0: Here's a question from UT Bull. Uh, 12 seconds out on the clock. You're a referee. There's 12 seconds out on the clock. And you blow a call. Who's going to scream at you longer and harder, Bruce Pearl or Frank Martin?
1: <laughs> probably Frank. Uh, no, Bruce would probably scream longer because he's you know he's a showman. He does that stuff he does on the sideline. Uh, I think Frank would have a little bit more oomph into it from his uh, you know all the stories about him being a uh, bouncer at a club in Miami and uh, just you know having the general appearance of a mobster and the uh, voice of a mobster. Yes, the, for uh, sure intimidating factors that, that come with uh, being a monster.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll say this, too. Pearl is smart with it. Um, Pearl, what he did um, there to kind of get fired up there at the official and run out onto the floor and all that during the game, he really probably should have gotten a technical for that because then they go look at the monitor and there was nothing there. To, so, so he just goes out into the court, gets the game stopped. You know, But, but what he did was – He got the crowd fired up. He got his team fired up, and then Auburn started playing better basketball. And and so Bruce usually does it with a purpose. I don't think Bruce is normally doing it. You know, he he's kind of a three-dimensional chess playing kind of guy. He always has been. Uh, Anything like that that he can do to fire up his team or the crowd, he will do it. Uh, I don't think he's doing it necessarily to go after the ref at times. I think he's doing it to you know for the benefit of of his team and the crowd. And I've seen Calipari do that too.
1: You could say he loves to turn up the heat on officials or smoke the officials uh, or, I don't know, I'm out of barbecue puns.
0: Yeah, that's, those are a couple of good ones, though. That may have been it. I'm trying to look if there were any other hoops questions that I missed here. Um, I think there may have been one earlier about, you know, if Tennessee goes to the NIT, does that carry any weight? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, there is always a value to playing and there is always a value to winning. And if you can play more games, you get more practices, you get to spend more time together as a team. And you know what? People make jokes about the NIT, but if you get to the NIT kind of Final Four there, you get to go to New York City, it's not a bad deal. Uh, if you go there and you do that, I mean, hey, the value of winning can can help your program, I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's like football coaches talk about uh, getting to a bowl game is like adding a spring practice, uh, uh, you know, 15 spring practice to your schedule and additional uh, an additional spring ball. I mean, this is this would be a tournament atmosphere, if nothing else, for these young guys, uh, and more time to you know be kind of in an in-season practice mode. And yeah, look no look no further than Texas last year, being 16 and 16 at the end of the regular season, getting in the an IT and then you know playing for another whatever it is, two three weeks, uh, and winning the thing and going to Madison Square Garden and, and getting that kind of. Uh, Experience, I think that would be huge for uh, especially a young basketball team where you're trying to develop as much as you can for the future.
0: Yeah, anytime you can play, I, I think, is a is a time you should play because there's, I mean, hey, that's, you know, maybe if you if, if it's any tournament below the NIT, okay, I get it, you don't want to go do that. But if it's the NIT, man, suck it up and go play in it. I, I think it's, listen, if, you, if you're a program like Kentucky, maybe you can make the argument that you shouldn't go do that. If you're Tennessee, you're not above that. If you're Tennessee and you get a chance to go play in that tournament, I think you got to do it. I, to me, there's no question that you go do that.
1: For sure. I think they would accept it. They would uh, accept a bid if, if there was a bid there.
0: Anything else, Grant, before we step on out of here?
1: i got nothing. It's kitty bedtime.
0: I think that's good because uh, my voice is about to be gone anyway, so I'm going to send you on out of here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start playing the music. Thanks, buddy. See you, buddy. Guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate it. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you just want Tennessee news and nothing else, you can get that at facebook.com slash 247 And twitter.com slash govols247 or you can go directly to the source get that delicious east tennessee mountain spring water just right from the source as i drop my pen on the floor at www.govols247.com always got good deals always a good time to go check us out our retention rate is high because when people see the site they usually stick around for a reason because I think we have a pretty good product. I don't think anybody covers Tennessee the way we do. Certainly nobody has the volume of content. No one has the uh, analysis. Uh, There's a lot of people who cover Tennessee football and basketball and baseball and do it all very well, and women's basketball too. Congratulations. Maria Cornelius won an award this week uh, from the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Cool, good deal for her. Uh, I don't think anybody covers Tennessee athletics top to bottom the way that we do, and we're proud of that. GoVols247.com. And if you do that, hey, if you, if you pay us money, you get access to CBS All Access uh, for free. That's everything in the CBS catalog. That's live sports. That's SEC sports. Uh, that's SEC football, basketball, NCAA tournament. Uh, going to be some UEFA Champions League down the road, NFL football, uh, some World Series of poker type stuff, some some exclusive podcast content. Go do that. There is no reason for you to not go to GoVols247.com. We're just going to put $100 in your pocket if you do that, guys, we should have a podcast sometime after the Kentucky game on Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday morning. We're going to work on that. Hopefully my voice uh, can survive the tundra um, because it's almost out right now. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, if nothing else, we will see you later in the week. See you. CBS Monday. NCIS, here's what we can see. Em. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases.
1: Double tap to the chest, one to the head. these guys are professionals.
2: All new criminals.
1: Violet Island they got here. Lock in
2: paradise. And all new crimes to
0: be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday starting at 9-8 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.